day, sent out a message each day that kind of let you know on Monday, this is what Jesus was doing on Monday. This is, and, and so going to try to do that again uh, for the church. Got good feedback, which just kind of keeps us aware of what's actually going on during the week uh, of Holy Week. Um, and so I want to recognize there are a couple things. One, the Lord Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem uh, on a colt or a donkey uh, represents peace, it represents, but it also represents victory. And so what would happen is when emperors or kings would go off to war, they would off on a horse. Uh, and if they came back and the war continued to pursue, uh, they came in, back in on a horse. But when, when an emperor or a king had victory in battle and, and had won a war, then when they came back into the city, they came in on a colt or a donkey. And what that represented to all the people is now we, we're in a time of peace. And so it was the king who did that as well. So when we see the Lord Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem uh, on a colder donkey, then it tells us when he's the king, and it tells us that he has already won uh, the victory in this battle. Uh, and so that's important, and that's critical to what I want to talk about today in Mark chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, but I want to deal with this question of, in the midst of doubt, how, how do we pray, and how do we pray with faith? And, uh, and the, the, the answer is um, found in, in this passage, but uh, we, I, I just want to, we all have doubts. We all have concerns. We all find ourselves in situations that seem to be overwhelming. And so the question is, what do we do about it? How do we pray in those moments where we find ourselves with doubts? And so before we answer the questions, you know, I just ask you to consider these things. What, what is your doubts and struggles today? So what is it that's going on in your life today that is causing you doubt and struggle? And that could be anything. It could be this pandemic of the coronavirus is really causing doubt and struggles and fear, uh, maybe even. It, it could be uh, other tragedies. Listen, just because there's coronavirus doesn't mean all the other things stop in this world. Uh, there's still diseases that people are fighting. People are still getting diagnosed and getting treatments for cancer. People are still in car wrecks, and people still have to deal with all these. Some people are dealing with marital problems. Some people are dealing with financial things. And so just because of the coronavirus, the rest of our problems and concerns don't stop, may add to it. Uh, but this morning, you know, just kind of in your own heart and your own mind, would really love for you to analyze this so that you could kind of name your fear, name your doubt, put, put, a, put a name to it. Evaluate your life and say, God, what are some things in my life that I'm really struggling with? This is the area in my life where I'm really uh, having doubts. I'm really having struggle and really having concern because I think we have to recognize the areas in our life where we are facing those type of struggles if we're going to receive the strength from God to overcome those things in our life. Now the triumphal entry kind of uh, points us to the fact that remember Jesus has already overcome these things that we struggle with. And so the Lord Jesus told us, don't be deceived that in this life there will be trouble. Uh, but to take heart because he's already overcome the world. And so it's that that we put our faith, our trust, our hope in. And so we celebrate Palm Sunday today. Uh, however, this is what God's placed on my heart, uh, where we need to go and deal with the, the plight of the afflicted and the plight of the desperate. And how do we pray prayers of faith in the midst of our own doubts and concerns? 
And so the, the passage today we're reading starts directly after the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, the, so Mount Tabor is a mount of transfiguration. And what happens there, of course, uh, if, you, if you know the passage and you don't, then it's just outside of Nazareth, by the way, the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, it's just this perfectly rounded mountain. It's just a beautiful mountain. Um, you can look that up, Mount Tabor uh, or Mount of Transfiguration. Um, so the Lord Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with himself on the mountain. And, and basically the very uh, essence of God comes down and covers the mountain with the glory of God. Moses and Elijah uh, are there. And so... Um, and so it's just this time of seeing Christ for who he is. On the mountain, he's transfigured. It's why we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and it's like his glory shines all around him and about him. And Peter, James, and John see this, and they're just like, uh, Peter's like, let's just stay here. This is good. This is what life should be like, is to just be in the glory of God forever. And, and of course, so they come down, and they've just come off of the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they do, there's a father who has a sick son. And the disciples who had been left behind have been trying to pray for the son, but they're getting nowhere. The father says he has an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. And these disciples have prayed, and they can't get anywhere. Nothing's happening. He's not being healed. And so Jesus comes, and this is where we are, and this is where we pick up in the passage, chapter 9, verse 14. Uh, and the Lord Jesus, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, 14 says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Of course, this is Christ, having come off of the Mount. And after they greeted him, uh, it says, And they asked him, and he asked them, Why are you arguing what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. The Lord Jesus then asked him this question. Uh, he answers first and says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, this is, this is the key. This is where we get to, I believe, one of the greatest prayers ever prayed in Scripture, as well as probably the shortest prayer ever prayed in Scripture. And Jesus said to him, If I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, and this is, this is a beautiful prayer, listen, I believe, there's this declaration of, I do believe, so the Lord Jesus said, You want your prayer answered? Yeah, right. If you want an answer to this, it's possible for those who believe. Now, the immediately implication is this. It's impossible for those who don't believe. Immediately, Father, the child cried out and said, I believe. And then he prays another prayer. He makes a declaration, I believe. And then the prayer is, help my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And so there's several things going on in this passage one is there's a father who has a sick son. A father who has a son uh, who is, has, has some type of evil spirit. And so the father comes wanting Jesus to heal him. So there's, there's the father and there's the son and there's Jesus. But then there's the disciples who have been praying and could not get an answer to their prayer. And the Lord Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and, and many, if we find this other story in, in the other gospel accounts, Jesus would go further and say, but by prayer and fasting. And so there are the disciples, there are those who are followers of Christ, there are those who are praying about things, those who are active in prayer, and then there's one who needs answer to prayer, and then there's Christ. And so this is where we begin to say, let's pray, and then we'll go into uh, looking at this passage. May gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, each and every one of us, I'm sure, have doubts, concerns, and prayer requests on our hearts and our minds. And Lord, many of us may be like the disciples who, Lord, we've been praying about things and we're just not seeing any answers. We've been praying and we, we just haven't received anything from you yet. We haven't got a yes or a no or a wait. And so we're seeking you this morning. And then, Lord, there's a picture of our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate this Palm Sunday in his triumphal entry and the fact that he has overcome this world. And that his words to us are this, for those who believe, all things are possible. And so may we pray the prayer of a desperate father. Lord, help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin looking at the plight of the Father. And this is where I want to start. I want to start with the idea of doubt. And what I'd like to share with you is this. Doubts are normal and expected human behavior. So as a Christian, we go through times and we, we reach a moment where we have questions or doubts or concerns or struggles. And, it, you know, kind of as a kid, I can just remember thinking, I'm not supposed to have doubts in my life if I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that anybody ever directly told me that. I don't, I don't believe anyone did, but I, I kind of had picked up somewhere along the way that, that I was never supposed to question anything. I was never supposed to question God. And in my mind, if I had doubts about something, maybe I was questioning God. And so when I would start to doubt, in my mind, what I needed to do was not because that was wrong. And the truth is, Scripture shows us even, uh, even those who are closest to God, closest to Christ, who deal with doubt in their life. And so doubt is a normal and expected part of the human experience. It's natural for us to doubt. In fact, anything we don't know with certainty leads immediately to doubt. And the more urgent we need an answer to the things we're uncertain about, the greater our doubt becomes. And so some of the things we doubt have no implication, no impact on our life, while other things that we doubt have huge implications on our life. For instance, scientists now say that the universe is something like 93 billion light years wide. 
So if you're going the speed of light, it would take you 93 billion years to go from one side to the other. That's pretty big. And uh, I don't know if that's the case. And I can doubt that. And unless I'm an astrophysicist or something like that, then this doubt has no direct impact in my life. And so we can doubt all sorts of things that really don't impact our life, nor our faith. But if I doubt that God can protect me and my family from, for instance, coronavirus, or He could heal me or my family from uh, a sickness or disease, then, then my doubts become very real and very personal. And so faith in God is like, like faith in a lot of other things. It's about a relationship and having faith of one that you're in a relationship with. It's not a scientific experiment. I, I talked to a lot of um, college students and um, a lot of uh, young adults, and they have questions, and what they expect is for you to give them like a scientific answer. Janet was even talking about coming over here earlier about um, Blake, little Blake, right? Well, he's not that little anymore. And asked her a question uh, one time in children's church. You know, Janet, how do you know that, um, that God's real? And, you know, I don't know all that she told him, but one of the things she said is, well, Blake, I can tell you what I've experienced. All right, that, that's the key, because having faith in God uh, is a result of having experienced God. And until you experience God, then... then you can't fully understand who God is or what God's like. And even after we come to be children of God, when we go through deep, deep, deep struggles and doubts in our life, God becomes even more real to us as we begin to understand the relationship we have with Him more intimately and in much more detail. And so all relationships require some commitment that transcends evidence and becomes self-validating. What do I mean by that? Um, Sonia and I have been married now 20 years. Um, 21 soon. And um, our love for one another is not something you can quantify, write down. It's not, it, even though you can see two people love on one another, it's not something that you can even prove based on how we might act around you. I mean, we're good church folk. We know how to act in church around other people. We know people expect the pastor and his wife to get along. And so just because we get along at church doesn't necessarily mean that you can quantify our love for one another. Our love becomes a self-validating thing. It's something that we experience from one another. It's something that grows and, and becomes even deeper and deeper, more beautiful more beautiful. It's not something you can quantify. It's not even something you can write down. About, I can't prove to you this morning that my wife loves me. And my wife can't prove to you that I love her. Because you would have to experience our, our relationship to know its reality. You would have to walk in my footsteps and her footsteps to know the reality of the love that we have for one another. You cannot prove that you should take a job when you've been offered one before you take it. You examine the evidence, of course, but then you step out. 
you pray about it and you feel, God, this is where you want me to go. This is what you want me to do. But then you have to step out on faith. You examine that evidence and then you step beyond the evidence into a commitment that validates itself. It's not until I've done it. It's not until I've accepted this job uh, through prayer and I feel like God is, is calling me there. It's not until I've actually stepped out and left the job I'm in and go into the job that I've been offered before I can really validate that experience in my life. And so there are just times when we're talking about God, when we're talking about the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have, that there will always be dimensions of our relationship with Him that transcend certainty. And that require faith. And in these moments and in these times, doubts are natural and normal. When we, when we first come to an experience and we've never experienced it before and it's a scary experience and we don't even know what in the world to do with it and we've prayed about it and we've talked to God about it but we know we're going to either have to make a decision, we're going to have to make a move, we're going to have to just trust God where we're at. It's not until we actually experience it that it's validated in our life as faith. And when those times come, man, we can have serious doubts. You can be a stand-up, awesome, great, loving Jesus person and still have doubts in your life when things happen. This life certainly is uncertain. And the Lord Jesus Christ has never been more right than when he said, in this life, you'll have trouble. And so we, we, we're in, right now we're in a nation that's almost paralyzed. We're, we're in a world that's almost paralyzed by this virus. See, it would absolutely be normal to have doubts about things of the uncertainty of the times we live in. But even though coronavirus is here, we have people who are battling cancer, who are staring down other beasts in their life with uncertainty and they have doubts. And until we walk through those times and until we see God move in those times, until we experience God, it's a self-validating faith we have. And so this father comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, that's what he says, I came to you so you could heal him. Of course, Christ wasn't there. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration or coming down when the father gets there. And now that Christ has come down, he's responding to it. And, and this is his response to the Lord Jesus Christ who says, for anyone who believes, everything is possible. That's, that's a paraphrase. That's not what my... Right, you would, if you believe... All things are possible to a father who's asked for help. The Greek word he uses, the only reason it's important is because it's, it contrasts the two statements, I believe, help my unbelief, is this Greek word pestuo, pestuo which, which literally means to trust in, to have confidence in, to rely upon something. And so when the father says, I believe, the father's saying, I trust you, I have confidence in you, I rely on you. That's a lot for one word to mean, right? Christ, I'm coming to you, this is my son, and I'm desperate that he receive the, the healing he needs, so I trust you, I rely on you, I have confidence in you. That's, what he, that's the statement he makes when he says, I believe. And so when we're going through the mist of our doubts and our concerns and our struggles in this life. And Christ comes before us and says, for those who believe, all things are possible. 
All things are possible. So, so whether it's, God, would you protect me and my family from the coronavirus? It's possible for those who believe. God, I've just received a cancer diagnosis. Would you heal me from cancer? It's possible for those who believe. In fact, there is no situation, circumstance, struggle that you face in this lifetime that it is impossible for God to deal with. All things are possible for those who believe. Pestua, I trust you. I have faith in you. The father's faith was not merely intellectual. It was personal. Make sure you understand this, this Greek word pestua. I mean, it's a personal faith. It's not just saying, I believe you can do it. It's saying, I'm trusting you and relying on you to do this. Now, here, here's my question. When we're going through the struggles and the difficulties in our life, I've had to ask myself this question this week as God kind of sent me in this direction. Then is our reply, can we honestly reply to the Lord Jesus Christ if he were to say to us when we're asking him for whatever it is we need, daily, weekly, yearly, whatever situation, immediately whatever we're going through, if Christ says to us, it's possible if you believe, do you believe, then my question is, do we really believe? Do we, do we have this pistua? Do we have faith and confidence that we are relying on him? Have we come to that point? And it's why sometimes we have to get in such desperate situations to come to the point where we fully relying on God. I share with you all the time that I, my prayer is always, God, don't, don't, don't allow me to be so hard-headed that it takes something that bad for me to come to the point of fully relying on you. Right? I, I want to fully rely on God before it ever gets that bad. Like, like uh, God, as soon as I hear there's a possibility for something, I want to pray that it's not. Right? It's not that bad thing. It's not what it could be. I'm waiting on news or, or waiting to hear back from a doctor. Whatever circumstances you're in, I've just, I had a test and I'm waiting to get the test results, right? In the times in which we live, you know, God, I'm, just, I'm running a mild fever. I've got a cough. I, I've gone to the doctor. They've tested me, and now I'm waiting for the results. And my prayer is, God, help me to fully rely on you before I get negative results. Don't, Lord, don't make me have to wait till I'm on a ventilator before I'm ready to fully rely on you. Help me be ready to rely completely on you before I even get the test taken. His faith was not just intellectual. Sometimes I, I, this is an area in my life where I have to constantly um, check myself because I'm, I'm a pretty logical person and it's just the way I'm wired and the way I think. And sometimes I can become almost mechanical, right? Where my faith is based on the evidence of what Scripture says and less about personal personal intimacy and reliance on Christ and so there's times when I'm praying and I have to ask myself even in my head while I'm praying God help me to pray in faith and not just I don't want to be a machine mechanically going through this motion of praying because I know that you can do all things Lord I, I, I want to be desperate and relying fully with confidence and trust that all things are possible with you and so whatever doubts we may be facing, whatever struggles we may be going through, the question is this, do you believe? 
That, that's the question the Lord Jesus poses to this father. And so when we come to Christ with, with needs, when we come to Christ with doubts, when we come to Christ in the midst of circumstances that are overwhelming, then the question we must be able to answer is, do we really believe? God, do I really believe? God, do I fully trust? God, am I fully relying? God, is my confidence fully in you? But I want you to, to notice this. Um, he had enough faith to bring his son to Christ. Well, what can I relate that to? I, I, let me just relate it to something like this. It would be like someone who lives in our community who has a sick child who has never been to church and his son has become so sick and he's desperate that he brings his son down the aisle of a church, hold him in and says, would you please pray for my son? Enough confidence to bring him. Enough faith to bring him. And even though the disciples were unable to heal his son, he had enough faith to wait until Christ returned. He had enough faith to wait because Christ was the one he was seeking. His, his faith and his confidence was not in the disciples. His faith and his confidence was in Christ. And when he comes in, even though the disciples try to pray for the son, even though there's, he doesn't get despaired, he has enough faith to wait for Christ. Nothing about this boy's suffering in this passage or nothing about the suffering of those in our nation, so many who have been stricken with the coronavirus, changes anything, listen, about the nature of our God. And so when we come to the moments in our life where we're facing doubts, here's the first thing we have to do. We have to remember what we already know about God. We have to remember what we're already sure of, what we're already confident in, what we already trust in, and who God is. God was good before the coronavirus. God is still good. God was omniscient before the coronavirus. God is still omniscient. He hears our prayers just as fully today as when he heard the Christians praying for Peter when he was locked in jail. Do you remember that? Early in the book of Acts, and Peter's been locked up, and they're praying because they know that it's probably going to mean that Peter's going to be executed, and the doors are open, and Peter is released, and they're praying with confidence. But here, here's one of the things. In that passage, uh, Peter escaped, walks out of jail because, uh, because God sends a messenger to open the door, right? But then Peter shows up at the house, and as confident as they are in God doing it, they are ultimately surprised that their prayer's been answered. It's like, who is this? It looks like Peter, but it can't be Peter. He's locked up. But they've been praying for him to get out of jail, and now that he's out, they are surprised that it actually happened. It's like Jesus who predicted, hey, they'll, they'll destroy this temple, but in three days I'll raise it back up. And, and they are... And, and, despair and sad that their savior that their their disciple uh the, that they had been disciples of it has been crucified and placed in a tomb and then on the third day when he's actually raised from the dead they are blown away amazed not expecting it and so what do we know about god and and then that that's why we go to god right do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe all things are possible? I believe all things are possible with God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has overcome the world? I believe he's overcome the world. What do you do when your child gets sick? I pray for my child. But then are you amazed 
if he actually answers. And so there's a difference between believing that God's able, believing in what you know about God, and actually expecting God to show up in the midst of your own circumstances. He loves us as much today as when he sent his son to die for us on Calvary's cross. What have you experienced about God in the past? Because what you've experienced of God in the past is relevant today. Because God doesn't change. When you've experienced the goodness of God in the past, you can trust in the goodness of God. When you've experienced the love of God in the past, then you can trust in the love of God. You can rely on the love of God. You can have confidence God loves you. I ask myself, or you should ask yourself, we should all ask ourselves, what's God done for me in the past? What prayers has God answered for me in the past? We need to remind ourselves of what God's done in our life. Big, little. What's God done in my life? I remember when I prayed and God answered. God's still the same. So today, since all things are possible, I can ask Him for big things. And he can answer. I can ask him for small things, and he can answer. And I believe he cares just as much about the small as he does the big things in our life. What needs has he met in my life? What sins has he forgiven? Here's what I can trust. If God forgave me of my sins, then I can never get too far gone for him to forgive me of the sin in my life now. And if he forgave someone like me, then no one is too far gone for God to forgive their sins as well. That's what Holy Week, that's what the triumphal entry, it's what ultimately the cross and the tomb are all about, is God loving us so much about none of us being too far gone for the love of God to reach and the sacrifice of Christ to atone for. And so the second question, one, remember what you know about God. Number two, Trust God with what we don't know. So I can always stand firm in what I know about God because God doesn't change. The second thing I need to do is to trust God with what I don't know. The second part of, of this Father's Prayer. Listen, this is a beautiful prayer. This is Him crying out to the, to the question Christ asked. I believe, help my unbelief. What a great prayer. When he says, help my unbelief in verse 24, this unbelief is translated, I pestua, or I pesta. It's the opposite of pestua, you with me? So the, he's really praying, uh, I am this, God help me with the opposite of that. I believe, help me in what I don't believe. Just as the word atheist is one who doesn't believe in God. Or those who, gnosis means to know, agnostic means to not know. You know, we put an A on the front of anything. It just is the opposite of that. In the English language and other languages. So his prayers, literally, this, it's, a, it's a prayer of, I believe, and then a prayer of a contradiction to what he said. I believe, God help me with my unbelief. When we have such doubts, we may think God doesn't want to hear us or help us in those moments, but, but I think Scripture pretty much demonstrates the opposite is true. 
That when we come before God and we believe, but we know, God, if there's any area where I don't fully believe, then help me in that unbelief that I have. Remember Thomas? We're getting ready for Easter. Remember Thomas after Easter? Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. John 20, uh, 25 says, And when the risen Christ met with him the next time or the next week, Thomas is there. Jesus doesn't condemn him. Jesus doesn't say, you're out. Sorry, you're out. You didn't make the cut. You did good up till now, but now you don't believe and say, you're out of the group. No, what does he say? He doesn't criticize Thomas for his doubts. He doesn't condemn or judge him for his doubts. Listen, Thomas, his expectations were so high about the one that he served, and now he's been nailed to a cross, pierced in his side, laid in a grave, and he says, I won't believe he's come back until I see him. It's almost like someone who says, I can't allow my hopes to get up until I know for sure. God doesn't condemn him. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't condemn him. The, the Bible tells us, uh, continuing in, in John, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. and Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is the Lord Jesus talking. And so the, the same applies to the Father, right? I believe. Help my unbelief. It's the Lord Jesus saying, believe. Don't disbelieve, but believe. When we have doubts, it's not God condemning us or shooting lightning bolts at us. It's, it's God pleading with us. You can believe. Just, just believe, and I'll, I'll show you. Just believe that you might experience my love. Just believe so you might experience my forgiveness. Just believe so you might know my comfort and my peace and my provision. Thomas responds, my Lord, my Lord and my God. In that moment, believe. Unbelief turned to believe. In that moment, the father's praying for his son, and he's talking to, I believe you can heal him. But God, help my unbelief. In that moment, he believes. Why? Because the Lord Jesus says, come out. The boy's healed. Thomas was not the only apostle to harbor doubts about the resurrection. Matthew 28, we see the 11 disciples went up to Galilee. They, they left Jerusalem. They've gone up to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But it says, but some doubted. In Matthew 28, 16 and 17, they go up to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Did he expel those who doubted? To the contrary, he commissioned them to go tell the whole world what they had seen, what had been done, and to make disciples of all nations. Probably the most preeminent example of doubting. Now listen, I need you to hear me say, the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned, was without sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ is on the cross and he prays a prayer something like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Had God forsaken the Son? Of course, we know this isn't sin. 
Because Jesus turns right around soon to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I believe. God, help my unbelief. God, I believe, but when I'm in the midst of a struggle, God, I believe, but when I'm in the midst of despair, God, I believe, but when I can't see the end, help my unbelief. I believe that all things are possible. But God, when they seem impossible, help me to believe. Like Thomas and the other apostles, even our Savior himself. Friends, we can bring our doubts before our God. Christianity is a whole different thing from other religions. Christianity says when you have your doubts, you can take them to your God. He accepts you even with your doubts. And he can turn your doubts into belief. Other religions say, no, you have to prove to your God that you're worthy. Christianity says you have to accept that you are unworthy. Then you can come before your God with all your flaws, with all your struggles, with all your doubts. And he can take your doubt and make them believe. If you don't have faith, you can ask for it. We can pray, Lord, give me the faith to have faith. And we can know that he hears us in his grace. In our particular text, Jesus then casts the demon out of the boy. He answers the father's doubts with a demonstration of his power and of his love. And friends, when we find ourselves in the deepest darkest places this world will take us to. And we have doubts and struggles and fears and concerns. You can know this, that God will demonstrate his power and his love to you. Make sure you understand that this prayer does not obligate God to say yes to everything we pray. The passage doesn't say, all things will happen to those who believe. The passage says all things are possible to those who believe. The implication then is this. If you don't have faith, it's not possible. If you have faith, it's possible. But now it's in the hands of God. Our text shows us a moment in time where God said yes to a request. There's this snip Snippet, this, this snapshot of, of one moment in history where a father pleaded with the Savior for his son and the Savior said yes. And then we go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8 where the Apostle Paul says he prayed that a thorn would be removed from his flesh. And this is one moment in time where God says no. Where God says no. But even when God says no, he attaches to this passage, but my grace will be sufficient for you, for my power is made, and my power is perfected, is actually what it says. My power is made perfect in weakness. In both situations, God demonstrates both his power and his love. When God says yes, he demonstrates his power and love. When God says no, he demonstrates his power and his love. 
And Paul could say as a result these words. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You notice the implication. He was trusting, believing, relying on God to remove this from his flesh, whatever it may have been. God said, no, but my grace will be enough for it. My grace will be sufficient in the midst of it. Paul says, then I will more gladly face my weaknesses so that the power of God might be perfected in me and demonstrated to those around me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I've heard it said, and I like it, that, um, that God sometimes calms the storm, but He sometimes lets the storm rage and calms His child. And when we're in the midst of doubts and struggles in our life, when we go before God in belief, when we go before God confessing and asking God, increase my faith. I pray this often. Whatever it is I'm praying about, I, I pray often, God, if there's doubt in my life, if I'm doubting in any way that you can do this, God, give me the faith I need. I, I don't want to pray for you if, I doubt, if there's doubt in my life. I want to pray for you in faith. I want you to pray for me in faith. One of the things that um, concerns me is that many Christians today have gotten to the point where they pray prayers they really don't believe are going to be answered. Even as they're praying, they don't expect God to really do it. And if we're going to see God move and, and really demonstrate His power, we have to begin to be able to say, as this Father did, I believe, and Lord, when I don't, help my unbelief. One of my favorite books to read and one of my favorite movies to watch um, is The Count of Monte Cristo. I just, oh, it's just, there's so, so much in, in the book and, and so much in, even in the movie, it's a wonderful movie. You remember that Edmond Dantes is imprisoned unfairly. And in prison, he comes into contact with a, um, a priest who has also been unfairly imprisoned. And um, th at one point, this is what the priest says to him. I'm going to close with this thought. The, the priest says, here's your final lesson. Do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. God said, vengeance is mine. To which Edmond Dantes responds, I don't believe in God. And I love what the priest says to him. The priest replies, it does not matter. He believes in you. God, help me when I don't believe to believe. Lord, help me when I don't really have faith to have the faith. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come in prayer. Lord, we come praying for our, our nation. We come praying for our families, our doctors and nurses. 
Lord, for first responders and those who are literally putting themselves at the danger of, Lord, getting this virus in the cause of helping others. I pray you keep them safe. Lord, I pray for all those in our church family, in our community, Lord, throughout the world that are dealing with things beyond this virus. Lord, many have been diagnosed with cancer and many are, are battling cancer right now. Others, Lord, have had to put off things they need to have done because, Lord, we just we don't have the resources to do surgeries that can wait when we have those who, who need ventilators. And Lord, I pray for those who are going through things, whether it be financial issues or marital issues or, or spiritual issues. Lord, whatever it is we're facing today, help us to know that we can bring it to you. That you will love and embrace us. And Lord, even in those areas where we're doubting, that we can come before our God, the God who created the universe, and we can admit, God, we're struggling with this. There's, there's doubts in my heart and my mind about this. And the very God who provides faith will give us the measure of faith we need. Help us to understand that even though you're not obligated to say yes to all our prayer requests. That you are God and everything is possible to those who believe and trust in you. And Lord, even when you say no, you provide such grace. You are sufficient. And your power is made known in our weaknesses. And as Paul said, when I'm weak, it's then that I'm strong. We ask all these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.